So this past week, I uh, got together just for about 36 hours with some of my friends from high school, actually five of whom were, four, four, four of the five of us were a part of Trinity when we were growing up and we're still friends to this day. Uh, the One of us who is, is not a person of Christian faith um, was asking me about Lent and she said to me, now, now, what, what, is, what is Lent and what is this giving up stuff, you know? She said, I just don't get it. Why do, pe- why do Christians give up like chocolate or caffeine or, or social media for Lent? What, what's that all about? Um, so I explained to her a little bit about Lent and, and about how it's that time when we remember the 40 days that Jesus was um, led into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And, and Lent is the time for us a time for repentance and preparation in preparation for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And Lent, this thing of giving up something at Lent is a way to remind us of the suffering and the sacrifice that Christ willingly took on um, on our behalf and for our sake. And, and so we often will give up something. And as we do that, we can be reminded of our dependence on God. And my friend got all of that. And, and then she said, but still, giving up things like M&Ms and Diet Coke, doesn't that seem a little bit trivial in comparison to all that Christ gave up for you all? So it's not that, that giving up carbs or, or candy or screen time is, is a bad thing, and it can be a part of our Lenten discipline, but this year in our sermons for the next few weeks, we decided we would really focus on um, giving up something uh, that might have a deep and lasting impact during these 40 days and, and beyond. So we want to encourage you to think about letting go of some particular things during this season of Lent. Things that might be roadblocks to your faith. Things that in letting go of them might actually draw you closer to Christ. Our Lenten series is called Letting Go. Letting go of control, letting go of a sense of superiority, letting go of certain expectations that we have, letting go of our enemies, even letting go of our very lives. And so we're going to first turn to um, the story of the account of Jesus in the, in the wilderness from the Gospel of Matthew. It's in Goth, uh, Matthew and in Luke. It's a very, very short version in, in Mark and not at all in John, but it's in Matthew and Luke. And I'll read today from, from Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses, and I invite you to follow along with me. Then, Jesus led the, uh, then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, it is written, people won't live by bread alone, but by every word that spoken by God. 
After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, since you are God's son, throw yourself down. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. God will take care of you. Again, Jesus replied, again it is written, don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, and he said, I will give you all these things if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it is written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and the angels came and took care of him. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. And let me pause for just a moment and invite you to pray with me. Um, I'll pray for you in receiving this message, and I ask that you would pray for me in offering it this morning. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As many of you are aware, Steve and I got back just a, a little over a week ago from the birth of our granddaughter. Um, Marin took some time and some coaxing coming into the world, and so uh, we were able to arrive in time, and I had the privilege of actually being in the room where it happened, in the room where it happened. Only one other time had I been in the room where it happened, well, other than with my own children, um, and that was when my sister, my younger sister, uh, had her son Matthew, and her husband was uh, out of the country away on deployment. So, for both the birth of my nephew and of the birth of Marin, I was simply overwhelmed um, as an observer of all of that. The birth of a child is truly just the most miraculous thing. And, and the, one of the miraculous things about it is that no matter how much we want to or no matter how much we try, Barring any extraordinary measures, there's really not much that we can do to change the outcome, you know? We can't make that baby come any sooner. We can't make that baby uh, not come when they're ready. We, we can't decide if they're breech or if they're sunny side up, as they say. And we can hope and pray all we want for a healthy baby, but again, that's completely out of our control. The whole birthing experience is one of powerlessness, of one of relinquishment, one of letting go. And then this past week, three persons who are a part of Trinity have transitioned into hospice care. Just as in birth, in death, we are also utterly powerless. 
We have no control over the forces of death. In those circumstances, we can't prevent its coming. We can't do much to speed it up or to slow it down. Death will simply take its course, and we have to surrender to that. And yet, although we acknowledge our lack of control and powerlessness in birth and in death, somehow, for all of the moments in between, we want to be able to have control. Now, now maybe that's just me. I want to be able to have control. I will cl- I'll claim that. Maybe it's not the same for you, but we seek control. I seek control. Um, and of course, there's precedent in that for all of us. From the beginning, humans wanted to be in control. You remember the story of the temptation of Adam and Eve, and, and they were in the garden, and, and they had been given tremendous blessing and freedom, and yet they had just a little bit of limitation put on them. They could eat of the fruit of any tree in the entire garden except for just one, just one tree that would give them knowledge and understanding. And so then the tempter, the serpent, enters the garden and and entices them to question God and to question their relationship with God, where they are in relation to God, and Adam and Eve succumb, and they disregard God's boundaries, and they take matters into their own hands. They grab control, as Genesis says in in chapter 3, verse 5, and they decided to eat of it so that they could see God and so that they could be like God. God places wide and gracious boundaries on them for their own good, but they rebelled against those limits and they tried to take control for themselves. And the result was not human flourishing, but a flooding in of sin and evil. At that same, in that same story, and, and that same story repeats in Exodus with the story of the Israelites escaping slavery in Egypt. You may remember that not long after they began their journey to the promised land, things got a little difficult and they complained about not having enough to eat in the wilderness. They said they would rather go back to Egypt and be slaves for the rest of their lives than starve to death in Israel, in, in, in the in the desert, a little overdramatic, you might say, but, you know, um, they were famished. And so God provided for them. God provided manna that rained down from heaven every day, giving them enough to eat. And then the people were thirsty, and so they begged Moses to give them water. And, and he accused them of putting God to the test But in spite of their lack of faith, God told Moses to strike his staff on the rock and water came gushing forth. God took care of them. And finally, they were tempted by false worship. 
when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the law of the Lord, they, they got concerned. He was gone just a little bit too long, and so they gathered up all of their gold and jewelry and melted it and made a graven image, made a golden calf, and they worshiped the golden calf. In all three situations, the Israelites succumbed to the temptation to attempt to take matters into their own hands, to, to have control, uh, to and, the, and they abandoned then their trust in God. Now, when we look at all three of those situations, they parallel the same situations when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for those 40 days. Jesus is there, and, and we notice that parallel between each of those three things and what happens to Jesus. First of all, he's famished. He's, he's famished and he's in need of food when the tempter comes to him and challenges him to turn the stones into bread. Since you're God's son and you have all this power, command these stones to become bread. In other words, you have this awesome power, so why don't you choose to, to take matters into your own hands? Jesus responds by saying, People don't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. In other words, it is God who provides for us what we need. In the second situation, the tempter takes Jesus up on the highest point, the pinnacle of the temple, and says, since you're God's son, why don't you test God? Throw yourself down from the pinnacle and see if God will save you. But Jesus knows that putting God to the test is not proof of trusting in God, but actually quite the opposite. Because if he were to be testing God, then he would be taking the reins, putting himself in charge, basically saying, if you're God, then do what I say. Jesus rebukes the tempter, again quoting scripture, don't test the Lord your God. Each of these, well, the third situation then, the tempter tries to seduce Jesus with power. If you will worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. He tempts Jesus to worship him and to turn his trust away from God. So each of these is, is variations on a theme. To take matters into our own hands, to grab control, to try to be like God, like it says in Genesis 3-5. And in each of these temptations, Jesus resists the temptation and reaffirms his trust in God. Even though things got very messy and, and awful at the end, when he was betrayed and then unjustly tried and then unjustly crucified, he doesn't come down from the cross. You may remember that those in the crowd shout out to him just like a tempter and say, why don't you take matters into your own hands? Why don't you come down from that cross and save yourself? Instead, he lets go of control. He empties himself, humbles himself of all of his own desires and needs, taking on the cross, and he trusts the future to God. I read a story this week um, that I'd never heard before about Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation and the beginning of the Protestant church as we know it. Um, and 
it's a really great one about reminding us to let go of control and to let go of trying to take things into our own hands. It's said that one night Martin Luther invited several of his friends over for dinner at a particularly challenging point during the Reformation. And he was just going through all of the hardships and setbacks that they had recently experienced. And as the night went on, Luther just, the catalog began to grow longer and longer of the disappointments and the, and the difficulties, so much so that he didn't notice that his wife had left the room until she came back in and she was dressed in all black. Martin Luther asked her about why she changed her clothes, and she said, well, to hear you talk, dear Martin, I thought perhaps that God had died and I needed to dress for a funeral. <laughs> Martin laughed at his own foolishness, and he remembered the promises of God. He remembered the providence of God. And he got up from the table and, and began again his ordinary everyday tasks of preaching and teaching and trusting the future of the Reformation and of the world. Trusting the future to God. Perhaps that's why it's so important for us when we begin the season of Lent to receive that mark of ashes or dust on our foreheads and to hear those words. Remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. It's a, it's a reminder to relinquish, to cease taking matters into our own hands, to let go of control because we are but dust. God is God and we are not. Nathan Kirkpatrick is a, um, an Episcopal priest and has been for uh, many years a part of the staff at Duke Divinity School. And he was sharing, a couple of years ago, he was sharing his thoughts on ashes to go or drive through ashes. You know, I described for you last week that we were going to do that on Wednesday morning prior to the Wednesday evening, Ash Wednesday service. And, and Nathan said this about ashes to go. He said, I've been skeptical. As far as evangelism goes, it doesn't seem our best foot forward. Remember you are dust, and to dust you will return. Said to a complete stranger, I would say washing feet at a bus station or a train station would be a better sign of God's love. And yet, time and again, I'm amazed I'm amazed by the stories from ashes to go, he says. Tearful commuters, overjoyed corporate types, repentant passers-by, converted suburbanites, people whose days have been interrupted by the news that they are mortal. It turns out that it is a rare gift to touch humanity, he goes on to say. It turns out that in this culture with its Herculean attempts to defy aging and death itself, to acknowledge our mortality, our finitude, it is something of a blessed liberation. Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. 
You are a part of all that is, but you are not the sum of all that is. Remember that you are a creature and not the creator. You have a rather limited job description and even more limited powers. Remember that you are beautifully made, but fragile too. You are made by love and for love, and you will go back to that love that formed you. Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you will return. And this is the good news. You know, we can relinquish. We can let go. We can give up control. Because God is God and we are not. We are but dust and to dust we will return. Hear the good news, folks. Hear the good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, each of us at one point or another, and, and some of us more than others, just strive for control. Help us during this season of Lent to intentionally seek to let go, to give up control, to open our hands and to let everything fall to you. We are in our most aware moments, in our most humble moments, grateful that you are God and we are not. So help us to put everything into your hands and hear the good news that we are but dust and to dust we will return. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And into his hands we put our lives. Amen.